Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today, our church celebrates Divine Mercy Sunday, and we recognize just how overwhelming God's mercy is for each and every one of us. Now, Divine Mercy Sunday was instituted by Pope John Paul II in 2001 through the apparitions of Jesus Christ that Sister Faustina received. In the 1930s, Sister Faustina was a nun who belonged to the Order of the Most Blessed Sacrament. And while residing in Poland, she received apparitions of Jesus Christ. And he came in very powerful images. Well, after a while, Jesus commissioned Sister Faustina to promulgate to the entire world just how great God's mercy is for us all. And how very much God wants to impart his mercy upon each and every one of us. Well, John Paul II recognized the significance of this feast. Therefore, he placed this feast as close as possible to Easter. Consequently, we celebrate Divine Mercy Sunday as the second Sunday of Easter each and every year. So it begs the question, why? Why did he want to put it as close to Easter? Well, John Paul II believed the only way we can recognize, fathom, and appreciate how overwhelming God's mercy is for us is that God's mercy can only be seen through the lens of Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection. Only through Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection can we see that we have a God that will stop at nothing to show us his mercy and his love for us, even to the point of dying on the cross. Now turn to the gospel for this weekend. It's very appropriate for the feast that we celebrate today. Notice how the story begins just like it began last week. It says, on the evening of the first day of the week. Well, immediately that sets the tone. We know the apostles are going to encounter something altogether different that's going to change their lives. They're going to encounter the resurrected Christ. Now it says, they were hiding. The doors were locked. Well, the doors were locked. It's symbolic of the sinful soul. The sinful soul is always locked in on itself never serving others or God in this world. Always think of of themselves. Now, appreciate the context in which this gospel is set in. For three years, the apostles were with Jesus. They were his close companions. For three years, they shared their ideas, their thoughts, their dreams. But most importantly, they shared friendship with Jesus. And at the moment, Jesus needed them the most. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was about to be arrested, they tucked tail and ran. They abandoned him. Worse yet, Peter, his closest friend, denied him three times. Well, now the apostles are hiding behind locked doors. For fear of the Jews, it says, that the Jews will come after them just like they did Jesus. 
and the apostles will be next. They will be now hanging from crosses. More to it, I think the apostles feel a great sense of remorse and are ashamed at abandoning Jesus. And so Jesus, he enters the room despite the locked doors. Jesus transcends time and space through the power of his resurrection. Well, what does this mean for us? Well, Jesus overcomes all obstacles that prevent us from growing in our faith. Now, the first thing that Jesus says to the apostles, peace be with you. He doesn't express disappointment or anger for them, but he says peace, shalom. Jesus shows God's mercy towards the apostles. Jesus imparts his mercy upon them and forgives their sins. Now next, it says, he showed them his hands and his side. And so why does Jesus show the apostles his wounds? Because the wounds are the effects of sin, the effects of the rejection of Jesus Christ. And yet those wounds, basically symbolic of sin and death, didn't conquer Jesus. On the contrary, Jesus shows the apostles his wounds because he has claimed victory over death. That's why it says the apostles rejoiced when they saw the Lord. They rejoiced in Jesus' victory. Joy is always a hallmark of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, a second time, Jesus says to the apostles, Peace be with you. The first time, the apostles embraced God's endless mercy and their sins were personally forgiven. Now, the second time, the apostles are commissioned to carry out God's infinite mercy to the world. Why is that? Because the message of God's limitless mercy for us all is so great, it can't be contained. It can't be hidden. The apostles, they just witness God's great mercy imparted upon them as their sins were forgiven. Now they must go and tell the entire world of how overwhelming God's mercy is for us. A good analogy to help you understand this, it's kind of like going to a movie. One night you go to a movie and it's a great and powerful movie, such that it has moved you and your life has changed. Well, what are you going to do the next morning? Well, immediately when you get up, you're going to want to call, text, or email your family and your friends so that they go to that same movie and they are moved with that same experience that you had. Well, that's exactly what the apostles are feeling right now. Well, next is the second part of the story, Thomas. Thomas is not with them when Jesus first comes. And because of that, he refuses to believe. Now, notice Thomas's attitude and what he says. Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the nail marks and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. What is Thomas really saying here? Thomas says he will believe on his terms. His faith is based upon his terms and not Jesus's terms. Well, where have we seen this recently, the same type of attitude? We'll go back to Holy Thursday when we celebrated the Last Supper. Jesus, he gets up and he starts washing the feet of his apostles. He gets to Peter and Peter absolutely refuses. He tells Jesus, you're not even going to touch my feet. And then Jesus rebukes him and he says, Peter, you're following me according to your terms and not my terms. 
Well, unfortunately, this attitude is becoming so prevalent amongst Catholics in our country and throughout the world. Catholics have the attitude of Thomas. You know, I will practice my faith according to my terms. I will practice my faith and go to Mass when I feel like it, when it's convenient for me, when I have the time. Or I will accept certain teachings of our church, but other teachings I absolutely reject and will not follow. Well, that's the attitude of Thomas. You know, we're going to practice our faith on our terms. Well, God doesn't work that way. Notice Jesus' response to Thomas. He says, Have you come to believe because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and have come to believe. What is Jesus really saying here? Blessed are those whose faith is based upon God's terms and not their own personal terms. More to it, remember the apostles are the foundation of our church. Thomas is gone when Jesus first appears to them. That's not good. Where is Christ most clearly seen? In the church. St. Thomas Aquinas once said, The power of Jesus Christ is present in all of the sacraments. Baptism, confession, confirmation, anointing of the sick. But Thomas Aquinas says, But only in the Eucharist is ipse Christos. Christ is truly present. When do people really get lost in the spiritual life? When they stray away from the church, when they leave the church, just like Thomas did. And so, yes, the power of God is seen, seen in the life of the church and all the things that it does. It's seen in doctrine and dogma, in the sacred scripture, but only in the Eucharist is Ipsis Christos. Christ is truly present. And see, that is one of the main reasons why we must come each and every week to Mass, to see that great presence of Jesus, and then to take him into our bodies. Now notice God's mercy is first shown to the apostles personally. Their sins are forgiven. And then as a church, now the church must be the instrument of God's grace in this world. I'll give you a great example of this. Look at Mother Teresa. In 1946, Mother Teresa is traveling by train to Darjeeling in India to recover from tuberculosis. While praying on board the train, she hears the words of Jesus Christ whisper to her, I thirst. I thirst. Jesus spoke those very words right before his death, according to John's Gospel. Yet now Jesus is speaking those words to her as she prays. Now, after many days and days of prayer and contemplation, she began to understand what Jesus meant by that. Jesus, when he said, I thirst, what he really meant is, I thirst for the salvation of all the souls in this world. Well, shortly after that, Mother Teresa established her order, the Missionaries of Charity, and then she brought the thirst of Jesus, the thirst for the salvation of all the souls in this world, to the poor and to the suffering. She brought that thirst to the homeless and the hungry and the dying, to those who felt furthest away from God. If you go into any chapel of the missionaries of charity, if you look up on the ceiling, 
right above the altar, you see those words, I thirst. Now, mother recognized the power of those words such that she made them the primary mission of her order, to bring the thirst of Jesus Christ to the homeless, the poor, the sick, and the dying, especially to those who felt furthest away from God. Now you say to yourself, okay, I get all that. So how do I apply this in my life? Well, first and foremost, we have to be like the apostles. We have to see the wounds of Jesus Christ. We have to see the effects of our sin. But at the same time, we have to rejoice in Jesus' victory over death and then act upon it. Seek the mercy of God. Allow God to say to us, peace, shalom, I give you my mercy. Next, like Mother Teresa, now that we have received God's mercy, we have to bring that mercy to others in this world, maybe in our little corner of the world, maybe to our family or our friends that are harboring grudges, maybe to our coworkers or neighbors that don't practice forgiveness, maybe especially to those people who feel furthest away from God's mercy. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.